title for my message is No Solo Missions Allowed. Okay, will you pray with me as we get ready to dive in? Father, I just thank you for this moment. I pray, Lord, for every heart in this room that you would encourage them, that you would bring them life. Lord, I pray that you would take away any anxiety or fear and that I would speak your words and not my own. In your name we pray. Amen. So we kind of decided in this series that hypothetically a solo mission can be done. For argument's sake, it can be done. However, I personally don't feel like any of us ever do the journey of life alone. Take an infant, for example, right into life, they need sustenance and nurture from a parent, right? So right into life, we've already relied on and depended on somebody else, not just ourselves. And so by design, we don't need to do this life alone. We don't have to do this life alone. So what I want to do is I want to look back at this passage, Joshua 3, 1 through 4, because I think our tendency oftentimes in our lives is to focus on the leader and think that the one who has the mission, who's been given the vision and the mission, is all it takes to get to the top of Everest, is all it takes to reach the promised land. And so Joshua chapter 3 verse 1, you see Joshua right out of the gate, right? And we forget about all these other people. And so in verse 1, all the Israelites are mentioned. And then in verse 3, you have the officers mentioned, as well as Levitical priests mentioned. And I have to believe that the reason they got to the promised land was because everybody hopped on board with the mission and vision that God had for Joshua to lead people into the promised land. That if it was up to Joshua to fulfill the role of leader and officer and priest, I tend to believe that he would have been disappointed, overwhelmed, and had a great degree of ability to give up. Would you agree with me? So, I feel like what I want to talk to you today about is the fact that although solo missions can be done by design, we're not made to do life alone. So, I have a confession to make, and I really don't want to make it, but I'm going to. (laughs) I have been going to Orange Theory for almost a year, not quite, but almost a year. My husband and I signed up last March, and it's been a great trek, but I've learned some things about myself that I don't like. I've learned that, you know, we've got friends and other pastors that have gone to Orange Theory, and sometimes I sign up for classes, and there's people in the room that I know, and other times that I don't. But when I sign up and I go to a class that nobody is in, there's nobody in there that I know, I tend to push myself less and challenge myself less than if my husband or a friend was on the treadmill next to me. I'm not talking about competition, okay? These shorty legs are not beating anybody to the finish line, okay? So I know that. I know my limitations. What I'm talking about is that somebody's presence next to me fuels me to go further than I can go on my own. And one of the other things that I realized is that they don't even have to be on the treadmill next to me. They can be 13 treadmills down on, in their own world, not even aware of what Kais is doing. But the fact that they're in the room pushes me and fuels me to do better and further than I would on my own. 
So there is power in our presence in one another's lives. What I want to propose to us today is that if we are left to ourselves, a solo mission would never result in reaching the top of Everest. We need people in our lives to help us along the way, support us, and encourage us to keep going and to keep moving forward. Solo missions were never the design. So I want to talk about three things that will help us complete our journey and get to the top of Everest today. Are you guys ready? All right, so number one, embrace our vulnerability and accept the need for the presence of a friend. So I told my husband, Seth, that I was going to mention this story, and he said, get your own story. (laughs) But I'm going to share it anyway. And um, it's actually part of the same story that Pastor Jason has been sharing about this camping trip where Pastor Jason got lost. So my husband, Seth, was part of the guys that went on this camping trip up in the Uintas. And how many of you know that the temperatures in the Uintas are oftentimes not the same as they are in the valley, right? So when you prepare, and you prepare for the temps in the valley, and you get there, you'll be a little disappointed, right? So they gathered all their stuff and went on this trip, and I didn't think anything of it. But when he came home, he shared this story that when they set all of their gear up and two or three people to a tent, they realized in the middle of the night that they didn't bring the appropriate gear for the temperatures. So he even told me today, he reminded me, remember that my water bottle froze that night? So that's how cold of temperatures that we're talking about, right? So he's telling me this story, and I'm thinking in my mind, this isn't actually what happened, but I'm thinking in my mind, man, what a funny sight that would be to have grown men negotiating if they can ask each other to share their blankets or if they could share their sleeping bags or like maybe I could get an inch closer. Is that okay? Like I can just envision this happening, right? And I think that what we've done is that we've created an awkward dance with our relationships in Christ. We desperately want to get close to one another. We desperately want to be honest and authentic with one another. But the reality is, is that we don't know how close we can get or what's acceptable. And so we kind of do this awkward dance, right, in life. Brene Brown says, vulnerability is the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness, but it appears that it is also the birthplace of joy, of creativity, of belonging, and of love. So Seth and I both grew up in Alaska. We grew up in Juneau in Southeast area, and uh, we spent 10 years of our life there. And one of the things that you learn really quickly about Alaska is that the weather is no joke right? You don't go off into the wilderness on your own without a compass and the tools and the resources that you need, right? And so in Alaska, weather is life or death. It might not be an awkward, uncomfortable situation. It really is this reality that if I'm on my own, I might not wake up the next morning without the right gear. If I'm with someone, I have to forego the awkward dance and say, hey, your closeness might save me. 
Your, the awkward dance is minimal in regard to the fact that having people close to us is a matter of life and death, right? We were made to do this life together. So in his book, The Four Love, C.S. Lewis says this, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for Christ followers, there are strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. So community, the people in our lives, our friends and our family are there for very important reasons, even life and death reasons. Ecclesiastes 4, 11 through 12 says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So friends are our lifeline to reaching the top of Everest. I'm not talking about Instagram friends or Facebook friends or bystanders to our life. I'm talking about true, genuine, get in the mud when things get hard kind of friends. If you have these people, you may just make it to the top of Everest. And when you get there, I hope you smile real big for your group picture, right? And if you don't, can I just challenge you? We've got teams, we've got table groups around here. The connection that you have when life gets hard is so incredibly important. And we have areas around here where you can do life with one another. So as I've done some research on Mount Everest, personally, I've decided that's not the mountain I want to climb, but (laughs) I've read this list of things that climbers encounter as if they're not crazy enough to want to make the climb up 29,000 feet. They also encounter some of these things along the way. Avalanches, falling rocks, crevice falls, other falls, severe exhaustion and dehydration, Whiteout, hurricanes, lost tents, frostbite, pneumonia, infection, and even witnessing of other accidents and casualties. Encouragement means to offer courage to one going into unknown territory. And how many of you know that we face avalanches and falling rocks too? When life comes at us unexpectedly, we face things that on our own, we don't know where to turn next. We face exhaustion in this life. We face frostbite when friends and family aren't as close as they used to be. We face doubts and temptations to give up. And without people to grab our hand and physically pull us up and out and encourage us out of our situation, we might just stay there going no further along the journey. In times of life where I've been blindsided, I've been following the Lord now for 
22 plus years, and there's not been that many, but there's been times where I have felt blindsided, where I've been discouraged, where I've been overwhelmed, where if it was up to me, I would have gladly sat down and waved my white flag. But because I've attached myself to my husband, to my pastors, to people in my life that are my lifeline, I'm standing here still today because I've had to borrow the courage of somebody else for my situation. And we keep going, right? Proverbs 27, 9 says, oil and incense bring joy to the heart and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Who do you have in your life that can share wisdom and counsel and point you in the right direction? God uses his people to guide us along the journey, and it is incredibly powerful and necessary. So number one, embrace our vulnerability and accept the need for the presence of a friend. We good? All right, number two. Embrace our purpose and position and stop second-guessing our creator. How many of you make plan A, you stick with plan A, you follow through with plan A, you don't ask any questions? Okay, a few of you, but not that many. So I think the rest of us are in the second boat, which is we make plan A, but then we strategize a plan B because we aren't sure that we've covered everything in plan A, right? Okay, that's me too. So I just want to encourage us for a second that we need to stop second-guessing ourselves. You are the encouragers to those walking out their journey next to you. Your words are healing words. Your presence, your consistency, your persistence, your grit, your hope are empowering those around you to take another step on their journey even when they don't know where the bend ahead is going to lead or when the road gets rocky and dark. When you second guess your purpose and your position, you second guess your creator. We've got to start showing up, speaking up, and stop second guessing ourselves. God knows what he's doing with you. Can you trust him with you? There's so much at stake. We came out of worship night on Wednesday night and there was such a moment of expectancy in the room that what God is doing in Salt Lake City is not just another fun thing for us. We have people to reach. We have things to do. We have things to say and speak to people. We've got to stop second-guessing ourselves. We need to realize that we aren't accidents or plan Bs, but people with great purpose and intention for our lives. My husband likes to say that there are no plan Bs with God. We have all been placed together, not by fluke or accident. We don't look like one another on purpose. We don't have the same skills or the same perspective on purpose. This, uh, throughout the winter months, we've spent time with, with family around New Year's time. And as a family, we put together this 2,000-piece puzzle. And I don't know about you, but like the last handful, two handfuls of pieces, you're just trying to get it done, right? This has been challenging and long, and we're going to get there. And it was no different in this situation. We get all the way down to the end, and the last piece is missing. (laughs) 
How many of you can relate? The last piece is the worst when it's missing. And I don't know if you're like me, but I can't leave it alone. I got to like tear the house apart trying to find this piece. The picture is not complete until they're all in there. And we ended up finding the piece like an hour later behind a chair, under a blanket. I have no idea how it got there. But I felt like God put in my heart in that moment, we are all pieces to this beautiful puzzle. No one piece is greater than the next. We don't give value to corner pieces over middle pieces, right? But each of us has a very unique part of the picture, When one is missing, we notice. There's a gap. It's the same with us. We all hold a unique piece of the whole picture. Each one is needed. A hospital doesn't consist of the four walls of the building. A hospital, just like we talk about the church doesn't consist of the four walls, it consists of the people, you and I, inside, right? The hospital is the same. We're not looking for a hospital because of the building, we're looking for who's inside of it. And when we are looking for nurses and doctors and surgeons in a hospital for our physical body, we have to be looking for nurses and doctors and surgeons for our spiritual health as well. Right? So when I need a nurse, I need somebody to check my vitals, encourage me, empathize with me, and tell me life's going to be okay. And sometimes I need doctors that with their wisdom and experience can point out some things to me that I've not noticed on my own. And other times I might need a surgeon that can step into my body, fix some things, feel some things that need correction that I can't do on my own, right? So in order for us to make it up to the top of Everest, we need to allow these people and places and spaces into our lives. If you haven't stepped into what God is calling or asking of you, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20 says, Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. You are a piece of the puzzle that God has designed. Stop second-guessing your design and his work, and let's start realizing that no matter the puzzle piece you are, no matter the part of the body that you are, you are valuable and purposeful. That's why we have team around here. It's why we have table groups around here. So that when life gets muddy and the journey is hard and rocky and you're not sure what the bend looks like ahead of you, you have people, nurses and doctors and surgeons, people that you can rely on and lean on. Amen? Honestly, it doesn't even have to be words that you're seeking. 
It can just be like my gym experience where the sheer presence of people who haven't given up, who are still pressing forward, is what I need to keep fighting and to keep trusting that God has us no matter how dire the path looks. You know, as the care pastor here at the well, I have seen literal people be literal lifelines to people. A couple of years ago, we had a family reach out at Christmas time and they were needing help. And the very next day, someone called in the church and said, hey, is there a family that has need this Christmas? There are people, women in our church who have been dealing with postpartum and people that have gone through it before that have spoken hope and life into a situation were on their own. They would have given up. They would have been taken out. But the lifelines are what we need. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And when we allow people in our lives to do solo missions, they can easily get derailed and taken out. Can we declare today, not on our watch? Not on our watch will we allow the people sitting in front of us and beside us and behind us to be taken out, but we are going to do this life together. So number two, embrace our purpose and position and stop second guessing our creator. And number three, embrace our helplessness and our need for the one true healer. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you boast about your weaknesses? I sure don't. (laughs) What do we do with our weaknesses? We cover them up. We ignore them. We shove them in the corner. We try, try to pretend that they're not there. It's not what Paul's doing here. I wonder what it was that he understood that we don't quite understand in our humanity yet. I think that what Paul understood was that when we acknowledge our weaknesses, we acknowledge our need for a God who has grace and patience for us and can heal us. When we focus on our weaknesses, we in turn focus on God's goodness, God's ability to fill our gaps and make a way for us that we can't make on our own. Throughout the Gospels, we see people coming to Jesus because of their helplessness. A wedding party is out of wine. A Samaritan woman has no water. The official son needs his help, needs his health. A crippled man can't get in the water. A blind man has no sight. And Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has no life. I want to read to you Luke 5, 17 through 20. And it says... One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. 
some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. This paralyzed man was helpless. If he would have said, "Eh, I'm good. I don't need your help. I don't think that Jesus can actually help me. I'll just be okay here in my situation. He wouldn't have received his healing. But because he acknowledged his helplessness and he engaged his friends, he was dependent on friends who were willing to allow things to get a little awkward and tear the tiles off of somebody's house to get him to his healer and his helper. We forget that acknowledging our helplessness is actually how our faith works. Jesus wants us to come to him when we acknowledge the fact that we are helpless without him. My daughter Hannah, she's seven years old, and her entire life she's been really good at acknowledging her helplessness, sometimes a little too good. (laughs) But lately it's been, Mom, I can't uh, turn on the TV, or Mom, can you rub my back, or Mom, can you get me a snack? You know, there's nothing off limits for her. She acknowledges that she can't do it all on her own and she quickly comes to her parents to help her. And I think that that's the invitation that God would make for us. That in acknowledging our helplessness, can we come to him? Can we rely on him? Can he be our helper and our healer in these situations? Instead of wrestling with ourselves to fight or cover up our helplessness, can we embrace it like children do and recognize that God, our healer and our helper is ready and able to help us? He's not helpless. He has a plan and he has a purpose for us. So today, my challenge for us is that can we be brave and embrace our helplessness today? Can we acknowledge the need for a father who, in spite of our weaknesses, he loves us and has great purpose and intention for our lives?